welcome to everyone and thanks for, for joining us for our meeting this morning. I'd like to just uh, open our meeting in prayer. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for another day that you have blessed us with. We thank you for all of your many blessings that you have given us, chiefly the blessings that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for the blessing that we can have to, to share this time with one another, even though we're, we're scattered. Um, we thank you for the ability to do this. Lord, we particularly at this time pray for those of our number who are struggling with their health. We think of those recovering from surgery, uh, Peter Amos and also Jan. We pray that you'll continue with their speedy recovery from those surgeries. We also thank you, uh, pray that you'll be with um, those who are suffering from COVID at the moment. Um, we pray that they will also recover quickly and that you'll keep the rest of us um, safe as well. We also pray that you'll be with Peter Searson as he's travelling internationally at the moment. Lord, we, we just bring before you all of our troubles and concerns, knowing that you listen to us and that you answer all of our prayers. We particularly pray your blessing on this time we spend together this morning. We pray that it can be an encouragement to all. Lord, we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, so far this year in our lessons, we've been focusing on the theme of evangelism. And now we're going to sort of change course a little bit, but it's still going to be relevant to that overall theme because it's all well and good to talk about spreading the message, spreading the gospel, but we really need to know what the message actually is, what the gospel is, what is the good news that we're sharing. And so with that in mind, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians because in that letter, Paul gives, I think, a great summary of the gospel. He talks about who Jesus is. He talks about what Jesus has done. And he talks about what those things mean for all of us as his people. And I think all of that's really at the heart of what the gospel is. Paul tells the gospel story and then he tells us how that gospel story changes our story. So, Paul writes to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. Um, it was sort of like a circular letter. And Ephesus was a very important city at the time. Um, it was a large city, and according to some at the time, it was the second in importance only to the capital of Rome. So it was a very important uh, and prestigious place. It was also a very religious city although, of course, it was largely pagan. Um, it was the home of the Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the largest building in the Greek world, apparently. And this Temple of Artemis was the centre of a cult, a religious cult that had influence that spread all the way across the Roman Empire. Now, from the Book of Acts, we know that Paul spent at least two years ministering there. Um, starting a church there and, and spreading the gospel there. And he, in fact, he became very close to the elders in Ephesus, which we read about in Acts chapter 20. But also we see that Paul's time there was marked by many miraculous occurrences. So let's, let's start reading in, in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. It says, God did powerful things through Paul. 
things quite out of the ordinary. The word got around and people started talking, started taking pieces of clothing, handkerchiefs and scarves and the like that had touched Paul's skin and then touching the sick with them. The touch did it. They were healed and whole. Some itinerant Jewish exorcists who happened to be in town at the time, they tried their hand at what they assumed to be Paul's game. They pronounced the name of Master Jesus over victims of evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus preached by Paul. The seven sons of a certain Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were trying to do this on a man when the evil spirit talked back. I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? Then the possessed man went berserk. He jumped the exorcists, beat them up, tore off their clothes. Naked and bloody, they got away as best they could. It was soon all over Ephesus among the Jews and and the Greeks. The realisation spread that God was in and behind this. Curiosity about Paul developed into reverence for the Master Jesus. Many of those who thus believed stepped out into the light and they made a clean break with their secret sorceries. All kinds of witches and warlocks came out of the woodwork with their books of spells and incantations and made a huge bonfire of them. Someone estimated their worth at 50,000 silver coins. In such ways it became evident that the word of the master was now sovereign and prevailed in Ephesus. So we read there about how God's doing great things among the Ephesians, great and powerful things. The people there witnessed the power of God and the power of Jesus' name in real tangible ways. And it was transformative. It changed people's lives. People who believed, they gave up their old practices, even at great cost, uh, in order to put that behind them and to follow Jesus. But, of course, all of this transformation, it wasn't popular among many people who had a vested interest in this temple cult at the Temple of Artemis. If we continue, we read, A certain silversmith, Demetrius, conducted a brisk trade in the manufacture of shrines to the goddess Artemis, employing a number of artisans in his business. He rounded up his workers and others similarly employed and said, Men, you well know that we have a good thing going here, and you've seen how Paul has barged in and discredited what we're doing by telling people that there's no such thing as a god made with hands. A lot of people are going along with him, not only here in Ephesus, but all through Asia province. Not only is our little business in danger of falling apart, but the temple of our famous goddess Artemis will certainly end up in a pile of rubble as her glorious reputation fades to nothing. And this is no mere local matter. The whole world worships our Artemis. Now this ultimately goes on to spark a riot in Ephesus. Um, There's this clash of world views. Um, The gospel message when it was preached and when it spread through Ephesus, created this tension that couldn't be ignored. And the Ephesian Christians, the believers, they had to live in this tension. They had to live in this um, charged environment. They had to minister and evangelise despite this kind of violence and opposition. And this rioting ultimately causes Paul to leave the town. But after he left, the Ephesians were never far from Paul's thoughts. And so a few years later, while he was in prison, it's believed Paul writes to them 
this letter that we call the Ephesians. So in this context, given the context of everything that happened at Ephesus, it seems likely that what Paul wants to do in this letter is give the Ephesians a defence of the gospel. And yet all kinds of challenges that they're facing, all the other kind of religious beliefs swirling around them and practices, the temptations of the culture around them, the temptations of wealth to be found around them, the temptations to follow all these kinds of bogus spirituality. Um, Paul's writing to defend the gospel amidst that. And when you think about it, really that isn't too different to the situation we face today. All those same temptations uh, we face in our world today. So in Paul's defence of the gospel here, it's no surprise that the defence that he offers is rooted in Christ himself. As he's going to say, all in Christ we already have every spiritual blessing. So there's no need for us to go looking for something fake elsewhere. Anything else won't work, it won't satisfy, because we already have everything in Christ. So that's how Paul begins the letter to the Ephesians, talking about everything that God, Jesus has done for us, every blessing that we have. And then he'll go on to pray for them, that they will know God's power. And next he talks about how all of this will fit into God's plan for humanity. God's plan for all of creation. Then he'll offer another prayer for the Ephesians, that they'll come to know God's love. And that sums up the gospel story, basically. But, of course, to finish, last but not least, Paul goes on to talk about how all of this should change our lives, how the gospel story changes our story, both in terms of how we go on and live our lives in light of that, but also how we live our lives together as God's people in the church. So that's a very quick summary of the book of Ephesians. So let's get started in in chapter 1, taking a look at the passage for today. Let's read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So just to begin with in that introduction there, notice how Paul describes the people that he's writing to. They're God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So these are Christians already. They're already people who have believed and obeyed the gospel. But Paul's writing to them because they need to be reminded of all these things again. He wants it to be fresh in their memory, everything that Jesus has done. Again, especially given the temptations and challenges that they face in this city of Ephesus around them. He wants this to be fresh in their minds. So if we continue, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made us known, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, there's a lot packed into that passage, which in the Greek apparently is one long sentence. Um, It's almost like Paul's so excited about what he's writing here. He can't pause to put in a full stop. It it just flows out of him. Um, But he begins by praising God thanking him for all of these blessings that we have in Christ. We're chosen to be holy and blameless. We have adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We're freely given grace in Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He's revealed to us the mystery of God's will, that he's bringing all things in heaven and earth under Christ. We've been chosen to bring Christ glory. We've been included in Christ. We've been marked in Christ with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And we've been guaranteed an inheritance, which is our redemption to his praise. Now, when you look through at that list of all those blessings that we've been given, some of them are kind of straightforward enough. But some might sound a bit sort of esoteric, you know, what, what, what does that mean? But when we look at all these things, I think the bottom line is, in all of it, we have been given the gift of Christ. All of those blessings have been done by Christ and for Christ. He is at the centre of it all. He is at the centre of God's plans. He's the centre of everything that we have. Many blessings flow from him. But the chief blessing, I think, is Christ himself. We have been given the gift of Christ, which I think is the essence of the gospel message. Without him, none of these things are possible. Without him, we're all just lost. We're all just alone and alienated from God. But Christ has been given to the world. He has appeared. He has been made flesh. Christ has been given to us. And I think that's the good news that we proclaim. Above anything else, it's good news about a person. Jesus wasn't just a messenger bringing good news. He was the good news. He is the good news. Which just reinforces that evangelism isn't just about sharing ideas with other people. Ultimately, it's about sharing a person 
with other people. So let's now look a bit more about exactly what these blessings are. Now, we don't have time to look each at each of them one by one, so I thought I'd group them together in a way to summarise the story for us, which is firstly how we have been changed by these blessings, what we have been given as a result of this, and thirdly, why has all this been done? So firstly, how have we been changed? Firstly, Paul says, we're told that we've been both chosen and predestined in verses 4 and 11. Now, these words, chosen and predestined, have, have often been misused and misunderstood in the church. But I think at the most basic level, what they tell us is that God has made a decision. God has made a plan. It's a decision that affects us. It's a decision he made a long time ago, at the beginning of time, he says. It's a decision that God has made and he isn't going to change and he isn't going to forget. And so what is that decision? What is that plan? He says he made the decision that in Christ we would be holy and blameless in his sight. No matter how sinful we are, no matter how far we might have fallen, God decided that through Christ he would change us to make us holy. Also, God decided that through Christ's blood, we would be redeemed. We would be brought back and our sins would be forgiven. We'd be redeemed from our slavery to sin and brought back all of our debts paid. So that's how we have been changed. Our biggest problem has been solved. Our biggest stain has been removed. Our situation has been utterly reversed. We've gone from being completely sinful, completely bereft, we've now been completely blessed and been made pure and holy. That's how we have been changed. And of course, it's all been done in Christ. Not by ourselves, nothing we've done, but by through Jesus, his life and his sacrifice. That of course is the essence of the gospel. That's the good news for us, how we have been transformed by what Jesus has done. So next, what have we been given? Because of this change, because of this transformation that Jesus has done in us, because we're no longer marked by sin, but instead blameless and redeemed people, we've been given even further spiritual blessings. Firstly, he says, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Now, before we explore what that means, Paul firstly reminds us that he does this out of God's good pleasure and will. It's, God's not reluctant to do this. He's not doing it out of any kind of obligation. This is just what God wants to do. He wants to bless in this way. It's his good pleasure and will that we are adopted as his children. It's a very comforting and, and homely metaphor, being adopted as children. But it's something that Paul also uses in Romans chapter 8, where he says, 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So here I think we see what it really means to be God's children. Of course, that's a wonderful blessing, freeing us from slavery, casting out fear, bringing us to God and bringing, making us heirs to an inheritance. Of course, that's wonderful. But notice, it's not just about what we receive. Because this idea of adoption as children, it's a, it's a relationship. And because of that, it should have an effect on our lives. It's like a two-way street. Because of this relationship, he says, we need to be led by God's spirit. Sin is no longer our master. God as our master. We need to follow our new father, as all children should do. But also, we need to share in Christ's sufferings. Of course, those sufferings are what brought about our transformation and adoption in the first place. Just as Jesus suffered, we too must suffer. But he says in doing that, we will also share in his glory. So as God's children, we share in his blessings. We also share in his discipline. But that will transform us and bring us glory. And as Paul continues in Romans chapter 8, he goes further. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. I think in that passage you really get a sense of the blessing here, the relief, the release when we receive this adoption. That's what we've all been waiting for. It's what all creation has been waiting for, even perhaps if we didn't recognise it. Finally to be redeemed, to be set free and to have this place as God's children. But it also describes this adoption, this redemption as a future blessing. It's not just about the present. It's something that we're still waiting for. Our adoption changes our relationship with God now in how we live and things like that. But it won't really be complete until we are made new, until we finally see our Father face to face. And that, I think, connects with another blessing that Paul says in Ephesians that we've been given, where he says we are also sealed with the Holy Spirit, which he describes as a deposit, which guarantees our inheritance until that final redemption. The Spirit has been given to us now while we wait for our inheritance to come later. As God's children, we haven't been left alone. He is with us in his Spirit who is working within us, helping us, helping to change us. So 
that's everything that we have been given as a result of how we have been changed. But then the final question is, well, why has all this been done? Why has God done all of this? Well, as we saw before, this is all part of a decision that God made, a plan that God made at the beginning. A decision, of course, that had nothing to do with us individually. It was all about the plans that God has for his creation, the role of humanity in that plan, but also more particularly the role and the place that Jesus has in everything because of it. So firstly, what does he say about the role of humanity in all of this? Firstly, he says that we've received adoption to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the reason. It's been done because it brings God glory. But of course, that's not because God has some vain desire to be worshipped. It's been done because it shows God's goodness. It demonstrates God's grace. And this demonstration of God's goodness and grace is a key part of God's plan for his creation. And that's something that Paul's going to talk about later in this letter to the Ephesians. Also, Paul says we were chosen in him that we might be for the praise of his glory, which, of course, is similar to the first one, but also he's talking, notice who he's talking about, he's not talking about all humanity, but he says only those who hope in Jesus and what Jesus has done, only they will be a part in God's plan and receive these blessings that he is giving. Just like we need to follow our father if we truly want to be his children, we each have a choice to make. Will we play a role in God's plan for us and his creation? So finally, what's the place of Jesus in all of this? Of course, this has all been done through him, through Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. But here we're told there's more to it than that. In fact, he says, God has revealed to us the secret, the great mystery of what he has been doing, which he says is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Not only was all of this done through Christ, it was also done for Christ. Paul also describes it this way in Colossians chapter 1, when he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That is what God is doing. He's bringing everything 
under the authority of Jesus so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's also reconciling everything to God in Jesus. That's why Jesus is the centre of the gospel. It's all about him. It's all being done by him and for him so that in everything he might be supreme, that he might be Lord of all. That's why, because Jesus is the best thing that has happened to the all of creation. He's the best thing to happen to all of us. That's why Jesus is good news. It's all about him and the blessing that he gives, not just us, but everyone and all creation, because he is the centre of God's plan for the entire universe. Everything that's happening um, is all because and for him. So we have this opportunity to be a part of the centre of what God is doing in the universe. We have a chance to be a part of Jesus. That's what the gospel offers us, and that's why it's good news. Of course, this is only just the beginning. This is only the beginning of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In the next few chapters, Paul's going to talk about all these things in a bit more detail. But hopefully we've seen this morning, as Paul's laid out, all of these blessings that we have in Christ, one after the other, we can see just how much good news it is, not just in terms of what we've received, but also how we have been changed and what we have what the opportunity uh, to be a part of. So hopefully that's been an encouragement to all this mor- of us this morning, just to be reminded of all of these blessings that we have in Jesus, these blessings that we can share with everyone around us.